Hello, I'm Tom Melville. Welcome to Voice of Real Australia. Each episode, we bring you people, places and perspectives from beyond the big cities. Cricket is Australia's favourite game. It unites us. Unlike during the winter when we break off into different groups for six months to support our chosen footy code, in summer we're brought together by cricket. But there's a growing sense that despite being Australia's national sport, our national identity is not reflected in the diversity of people who actually play the game at all levels. Indigenous representation in particular has always been lacking. Only a handful of people who identify as Aboriginal have ever played Test cricket. And that's despite the fact that First Nations people were the first to represent Australia in any sport with a cricket tour of England in 1868, and despite Indigenous fast bowler Eddie Gilbert famously getting Don Bradman out for a duck. First Australians have a long and complicated relationship with cricket for a host of reasons and haven't picked up the bat and ball in the same way they have taken to other sports, notably AFL and NRL. In footy, there's actually an over-representation of First Nations athletes when compared to population. So why isn't that the case for cricket? And what's being done to change that, to make sure Australia's national pastime reflects the countless stories and experiences which make up this country? Uh, we're going to form a barefoot circle around our walkabout wickets. Um, I'm in Campbelltown in Greater Western Sydney, custodial lands of the Dorawal people, on a muggy November morning. Uncle Ivan, a well-known Aboriginal elder from the area, is welcoming us to country with a traditional smoking ceremony. He has a curved length of timber in his hands, filled with smoking eucalyptus leaves, and he's going around a circle made up of about 50 barefoot cricketers. A man playing the didgeridoo follows. Name's Jack Hardigan. I'm 17 years old from Newcastle and a Gundungurra man. Jack is a good player. He's captaining the Sixers team today. There's a lot of buzz around him and hope that he'll go far. Moments before we chat, he holds out to mid-wicket for a low score. He's disappointed in himself, especially with the talent spotters watching. His grandfather was president of Hamilton Wickham Cricket Club in Newcastle for decades. He says cricket is in his blood. Pop always played cricket and was president of one of the local cricket clubs for 40 years. So cricket was always in the family. Been using a bat in the backyard with Dad since I was about two and then first started playing properly when I was about seven or eight. My name is Jake Balnave and I am the Community Impact Specialist for the Sydney Thunder. Jake helped organise today. He tells me a little more about the event. Today we're at the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander T20 Cup here at Raby Sports Complex out in Western Sydney. So today we've got uh, men's and women's teams from both the Sydney Thunder and Sydney Sixers regions. So we've got Indigenous players from, from all across the state coming together to play a carnival of cricket, but also to celebrate their cultures. And we're very lucky to be playing during the rescheduled NAIDOC week. An amazing opportunity for us to celebrate the, the First Nations people and use cricket as that vehicle to bring the different cultures or the different tribes together. So where have the players come from? From all across the state, um, we've got some players that have travelled from Dubbo, from Tamworth, from down the south coast, Canberra. Yeah, it's amazing to be able to bring people together with this initiative. Yeah, it's an amazing opportunity for them to showcase their cricketing skills as well. The Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander T20 Cup has been running for four years now in its current form. Before then, New South Wales would send one Indigenous development team to Hobart, but today there are enough players to field four teams two men's, two women's, from the Sydney Thunder and Sydney Sixers Indigenous Development Pathways. I'm Julie Muir and I'm the captain of the Sydney Thunder team. Proud Wiradjuri woman. Julie Muir is skippering for the Thunder today. 
Earlier in the year, she captained the New South Wales women's Indigenous team to a remarkable 13th title at the National Indigenous Cricket Championships in Alice Springs. She's local to the area, but her teammates have come from all across the state to play today. A few people uh, have travelled quite far. I think some of the girls got here like 10 o'clock last night, so I think five-hour trip, someone said, so yeah. So that's commitment to the game? Definitely, definitely commitment. Not only that, they get to see their friends and with this COVID happening at the moment... It's good just to be around your friends and your family. Jeff Cook is the Indigenous New South Wales and Australian men's cricket coach. He played first-class cricket for years in England. He actually has Indigenous heritage himself, but only found out after he retired. He's here mentoring the players and keeping an eye out for new talent. Jeff says days like this are extremely important for players wanting to get noticed and take their careers further. It's a stepping stone into the New South Wales side, so it's a concept of pretty much of talent identification see who's coming through, any new talent, that sort of thing. And then that's a stepping stone like into our New South Wales Indigenous men's team, which we go to Alice Springs every February, except for this year, obviously. And then that's a, that's a stepping stone like into the Cricket Australia pathway. Events like this T20 Cup haven't always been easy to put on. Jeff says there simply weren't the numbers before. I think with cricket before T20 especially, where it goes all day, was a bit of a turn-off, especially for parents. You win a sports uh, 80 minutes, 90 minutes. So we've had to win that over. And I think the T20 concept, I think the brands of the Sixers and Thunder have really enhanced that. And like in recent times, we've played against the Hobart Hurricanes in Orange. I guess it is a battle, but I think we're winning the battle at the moment. And that's because of programs like this and also T20 itself. Yeah, I think T20's just changed the world, hasn't it? But um, I think the programs and the investment, especially the Sydney Thunder, have made over a lengthy time now has really enhanced our image as Indigenous sportsmen in the cricket space. And I think for the Sydney Thunder, I think they're getting a hell of a lot of traction out of it as well, which is great that we've got a sponsor this year All those sorts of things are really beneficial. From the atmosphere at the park, I can tell the players are excited and nervous to be here. Jack Hartigan says it's good to see Indigenous players coming together. It means a lot to have the best young Indigenous talent from all over the state come together and be able to play together. It's pretty special, especially coinciding with NAIDOC week this year. It means a lot to us and everyone here. And, yeah, just feel very lucky to be a part of it. For Julie Muir, the fact that there are different Indigenous-focused pathways into the sport is having a positive impact. You know, it's fantastic that we get to see this young talent, uh, especially from country areas, so it's really good that we can actually identify these young ones and get them to join this beautiful game of ours. So I understand, I mean, less so in the women's game, but Indigenous representation at all levels hasn't been as fantastic as it potentially could have been. Is that changing? Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's definitely changing and it's changing due to the fact that we've got these programs that are running from uh, these state cricket and also our National Indigenous Cricket Carnivals. You know, we've got the likes of Ashley Gardner, we've got Hannah Darlington and now young Annika Leroy have all just been fantastic through those programs and now got the opportunity to play for the Sixers and the Funder and um, New South Wales as well, so it's fantastic. Today is in some ways a celebration of culture. It's heartening to see so many people here playing the sport they love, and it looks like it's been a success. Jeff Cook again. When we first started, we were lucky to get a dozen players, I think, out at Orange. And that's grown. I think the registrations this year were up around the 40 mark. When you include those New South Wales players on top of that, we're close to 60 to 70 players. I mean, the target age group like for this concept is under 23. And if we're getting around about the 50 mark of under-23 players, well, I think we look good for the future.
Anecdotally, you kind of hear that, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people aren't interested in cricket, and that's just not true at all. I meet Dr Bill Fogarty in his office at the Australian National University in Canberra. He spent his career researching Indigenous education and service provision. Several years ago, he had the same question I have. Why aren't there more First Nations people playing professional cricket? Well, one of the reasons I did this with my colleagues, Professor Mick Dodson and Corinne Walsh, basically... Mick and I in particular were working on lots of different things around, you know, land rights, education, health, you know, kind of big ticket stuff. But as we moved through the country, people knew that we really loved cricket and we, of course, talk cricket whenever we got a chance. And, and lots of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people would talk to us about this question. This question kept coming up, why aren't more First Nations people playing cricket in Australia? And it just kept coming up and it kept niggling at us, you know, and being researchers, when you when you start to get a niggle, sometimes you just can't help yourself and you just want to find out. But we also felt that there was something to this story. We sort of wanted to help, I suppose. The result of that niggle was 12 months of travelling around Australia, hundreds of interviews in every state and territory from local community players and kids, right up to the Cricket Australia chief executive at the time, James Sutherland. In 2015, Bill... Professor Dodson and Corinne Walsh produced a report called For the Love of the Game and what they found surprised them. I remember being in Cairns and we'd send out a bit of a message that we're going to be at a certain location and anyone who wants to come along and talk about Indigenous cricket is welcome and, you know, we were expecting sort of four or five people to rock in. And I think in Cairns there was about 70 people rocked up to want to talk about Indigenous cricket and one of the really surprising elements for me was how many of them weren't actually playing but that they wanted to play or that they had wanted to play or that their kids want to play or they wanted to be engaged in the game in some way or another. For a lot of the people that we talked to, they were really keen to get behind First Nations players being part of the game. There was just so much love of the game and it did shock us a little bit. Bill and his colleagues went on to make a number of recommendations, some of which governing bodies have taken on board. One standout is the creation of outreach programs specific to Indigenous communities. Bill says clubs need to be proactive. Cricket as a game and its kind of legacy, which is quite colonial, has historically been really racist, I'd say, at, at its base. And resetting that discourse with First Nations communities in Australia to make it a welcoming game. I mean, one of the things we found was that cricket generally sort of thinks, well, yeah, everyone's welcome to play cricket. And you can say that, but what people in communities were actually hearing was, yeah, everyone's welcome, but probably not us. You have to actually reach that olive branch out specifically to First Nations people and say, we want you to be part of this game. We need you part of this game. The talent that people bring, the different ways of playing, we saw some of that on show around the country. And we're actually absolutely flabbergasted about how much interest there actually is out there. Uh, It's just about making sure that the elements, both structural and local, come together in a way that enables access, particularly for the youth. My name is Courtney Hagen. I'm the Indigenous Engagement Specialist at Cricket Australia. Courtney Hagen is a butchelor and gubby gubby woman from the northern Sunshine Coast in Queensland. Her job at Cricket Australia is, essentially, to get more Indigenous people playing cricket. When we spoke, Melbourne had just come out of lockdown and she just had her team's first match back. She's a long-time lover of the game. Um, I've been involved in the game in many facets, uh, coaching, officiating, but mostly as a player. Uh, growing up, I started cricket 
when I was about six or seven in Kanga cricket, which shows my age now. And I've participated at various levels, the highlight being in the captaining the Queensland Indigenous team at the National Indigenous Championships. And I still play here in Victoria in the Premier First League for Carlton Brunswick Cricket Club. Cricket Australia took on board many of Bill and his colleagues' recommendations, notably focusing on youth and grassroots outreach programs. As I saw in Campbelltown at the T20 event, some promising early results are starting to trickle through. Courtney, on the other hand, got into cricket by chance. I lived in a small country town that was also next to an Aboriginal community called Sherberg and I had cousins and relatives and we sort of went between the two places. But for me, I wasn't allowed to play football. I really wanted to play rugby league. I have a big rugby league family, but out there there was no girls teams. Plus, I was just not allowed to. So I think one afternoon, because my mum's a teacher, she needed us to be doing something after school and there was kanga cricket on. And um, I had a quite a little bit of a knack for it. I wouldn't say talent, but I like to jump in with the boys and and play that. And it was just a, a game where I think there was sort of not a lot of fighting and it was quite a gentle space. I was the only girl that played in the team, but I felt really, um, yeah, supported and just, just loved it from then on. I also played other sport, but cricket seems to be one that I've circled back to as an adult. Cricket Australia aims to make cricket a sport for all. It's Courtney's job to make this a reality for First Nations people keen to pick up bat and ball. She says their responsibility goes beyond sport because of cricket status as a global game. Cricket Australia's mission is to be a sport for all and in that wording itself it means acknowledging and also respecting everyone's fundamental human rights as participants of the game but also outside of the game, being a sport that's recognised as the national identity of Australia. You know, you think of Australians and you think of bronze tanned surfers playing beach cricket usually. So for us, we have that extra responsibility to be advocates and respectful to our First Nations culture and that means not just inclusion but celebrating and championing for the sport. You know, this game is traditionally one of the most colonial sports in the world. So we're trying to undo some of that stereotype and that relationship that game has with the country and with our First Nations people by also telling that story of our deep, rich, cultural sort of contribution to the game, which I don't think we've told enough historically and therefore, you know, has created that sort of not a divide necessarily but more of a a lack of representation at a higher end, not just at a participation level but also an employment level as well. Indigenous Australians have a relationship with cricket which stretches almost as far back as the First Fleet. But the kind of celebration of cricket and culture I witnessed in Campbelltown is a shockingly recent chapter in an often dark history. Records suggest that by the 1850s, cricket was being played amongst First Nation peoples around the colonies after it was introduced to them by pastoralists and the managers of missions. In 1868, cricket was widespread enough in Indigenous communities that a team from the Western Districts of Victoria was selected and sent to England in what would be the first sporting team of any kind to depart Australia for foreign shores. Dr Bill Fogarty again. I'd say that some of the reasons why the tour went ahead were probably a little bit dubious. They were seen as a little bit of a, an oddity, I suppose, and there was some pretty dubious financial interests hoping to capitalise on taking the players over. They had some deaths on tour. It was plagued by financial mismanagement. So, yeah, I'd say definitely not a high watermark. Even into the early 20s, like right through to the early 20s, that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people had quite a large presence in the game. I mean, you don't want to overstate their presence, but certainly people were very active in cricket. 
and then that changed as policy changed. Only one player identifying as Indigenous has ever donned the baggy green and walked out to play a test match for the Australian men's team. Jason Gillespie has Gamilaroi ancestry on his dad's side. Since his retirement in 2006, there's been no one. One of the most pressing issues facing the game is prejudice, particularly racism. It remains prevalent throughout Australian sport and society, and cricket is no exception. Courtney says cricket lags behind other sports when it comes to proactively changing that culture. I think it's a reflection of history and colonialism in Australia. You look at the way that our Aboriginal athletes that have participated in the game were treated. I mean, for a great example, the Eddie Gilbert story is one that I always draw back to, and he's probably one of the only bowlers that have gotten Donald Bradman out for a duck, and that's why Donald Bradman's average is under 100. Yet he didn't get to play for Australia, and he was treated pretty poorly to the point where he had some, you know, real mental health issues as a as a fallout. And when you think about that in comparison to other sports that have sort of had a lot more involvement in First Nations culture or having more First Nations athletes in their representative teams, such as AFL, which obviously we all know has stemmed from an Aboriginal game called Manbrook. In comparison, I think those other codes have done a great job to break down that those stereotypes. I think cricket's still lagging behind quite significantly, but we've come a really long way. These last three years have been a a giant push. First Nations Australians were the first people to represent the country in cricket. But despite this early involvement, practices of exclusion and racism soon pushed them out of the sport. Bill says officious, protectionist policies in the early 20th century were a huge barrier. Protectionism came in as a policy in lots of different states around the turn of the century. Can you define that? Um, Basically... The idea was that at that time there was kind of an, a prevailing philosophy that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were going to die out. You know, they talk about smoothing the dying pillow. And so there was a lot of policies enacted well, under the auspice of protecting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. But their actuality was that they completely disenfranchised Aboriginal communities and disempowered them. They employed protectors who were government bureaucrats who basically controlled nearly every aspect of of an Aboriginal person's life. And that included, of course, being able to travel to play cricket. So what we saw during that time was that cricket, which often was played between towns or between regional areas, suddenly you saw that stop for Aboriginal people. They couldn't get, if they did want to play, they had to get permission. And there's plenty of cases that we've documented about people not being able to travel. Whereas football, on the other hand, was played intra-community and so football became a much more doable thing. Uh, so that we saw the rise of football and a kind of a sliding of engagement in cricket. Protectionism officially ended in the 1950s. What followed was known as the Assimilation Period, a policy predicated on forcibly whitewashing First Nations people into so-called mainstream society, ignoring their rights, culture, language, and their origins as the first people of this nation. If you rock up at a club and you say you want to play cricket and you're Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander during the assimilation period, you're expected to actually deny your your ethnicity, your background, your culture, your heritage, to sort of become someone who you're not. And people aren't going to do that. First Nations people have been very clear on that since day one. You know, they won't relinquish who they are and neither should they. And, yeah, so the element there is very exclusionary. I wonder, you mentioned in early in the report about cultural barriers within Indigenous communities. Oh, don't play cricket, that's a white man's game. Is that still the case or was that specific to a moment in time? Oh, I think it's still a challenge. I think that 
it's got a historical base and it's probably still got some contemporary base to it. You know, racism in Australia runs deep and it's, you know, possibly not as overt as it was during protectionism and the assimilation period, but that doesn't mean that racism's not here. I mean, we've seen that in Australia consistently. So there's no reason why that's still not there at a club level. And I think that's where the real challenge is. And, you know, Cricket Australia and state and territory cricket associations can lead the way in changing that discourse. But at another level, you know, it really comes down to local clubs reaching out to their local Aboriginal communities and saying, we want we want you to be a part of this. You know, we need you to be part of the game. And it sounds like such a small thing, but it's actually a huge thing and make a massive difference. While Ash Gardner played her first test match during the Women's Ashes in 2019, there aren't any First Nations athletes representing Australia in men's test cricket right now. That said, a number of good players have come through and represented their country in the shorter formats of the game. Uh, Daniel Christian, all-rounder, play cricket now for the Sydney Sixers in the BBL. Dan Christian is from Narandra in the Riverina region of New South Wales, a few hundred k's west of Canberra. When he walked out to face the West Indies in his Australian jersey in a T20 in 2010, he was just the sixth Indigenous men's player to do so in any format. Dan's spoken about racism in sport in the past and had to put up with people saying he didn't look particularly Aboriginal. But he's optimistic that the culture in cricket is changing. Nothing to do with race for me personally, and so I've been lucky in that respect. I'd say that's 99% down to the colour of my skin, I guess. I came out like mum, basically. I've got fair skin like my mum rather than the darker skin like my old man. So I haven't been subjected to any yeah discrimination from that perspective in terms of missing out on anything or having any barriers to, to be able to you know, push my career forward. It's more casual racism that seems to exist a lot in Australian cricket. Thankfully, that's all being spoken about more often and, and it's been called out more often. People just know that it's not acceptable. When I first started, it was just, you know, there were all sorts of jokes about you know, the 2% home loans and those kind of just absolute rubbish, which is when you're a kid and you're trying to make your way, you just haven't, you haven't really got the the guts to stand up to it, you know, against the, you know, the older guys that those kind of things are just commonplace. Courtney from Cricket Australia says a lot of progress has been made. We've broken down that, that pale male and stale stereotype that came along with cricket. We have a lot more opportunity for cricket to be played for people of all different backgrounds and abilities. Cricket's not just a game for, you know, old white guys. It's a game that everyone can play further than just your backyard. So it's an opportunity for people to participate from all walks of life and all different ages and backgrounds. But Dan says there's more that can be done and that other sports are leading the way while cricket lags behind. Something as simple as just having a, an Indigenous BBL round. I've been trying to get Cricket Australia to do that for a long time now and there's been a few teams that have jumped on board and and done that, which has been wonderful, Indigenous-themed jerseys and, yeah, and do a whole sort of week celebration around it, which is which is fantastic that the individual teams are getting on board with that, but Cricket Australia still haven't done anything. So that's been disappointing from my perspective. We, we see it in the AFL and the NRL. There's a real celebration of Indigenous culture and then also more Indigenous players within their sports. So, yeah, it's disappointing that we haven't, that we haven't really gone down that path yet in cricket. So I think that's the kind of thing that I, I feel like I've taken on responsibility, along with a few other guys, to you know, really keep trying to push that. Dan's cricketing story is a common one. Mad about the game from a young age, backyard cricket with his vast extended family, and discovering he had a talent for it. When he was a kid, none of the Indigenous pathways which are around today existed. It wasn't until 2001 when he played in an exhibition match, the Atsik 11 versus the Prime Minister's 11, that anything was made of his heritage. I'd say that majority of 
our young kids end up playing the footy codes. The really talented ones end up yeah, end up going to the NRL or the or the AFL or they're the they're the main two, I'd say. Cricket's never really been cricket's always been the summer sport, I think, but never but never been seen as something that could be taken seriously by Aboriginal people and been a, a viable career path, I guess. And I'd say that's probably lack of role models. Well, when you look at you can you talk for a, a week about the amount of AFL ones or the amount of NRL ones where you know young kids can can grow up and and idolise. Whereas cricket, we've never really had that in Australia. Dan's point is a good one. There are few role models in the sport. He's one of the main ones, and the women's game has always been a bit better for Indigenous players. Faith Thomas became the first Indigenous player to represent Australia in any sport when she walked out to bat against England in a Test match in 1958. And Ash Gardner is a star for today's spectators. But those role models have been few and far between. And I suspect that's because there weren't enough players for the superstars to shine through. Like Dan says, the highly talented Indigenous athletes have gone elsewhere. Role models are part of the solution, no doubt. But paradoxically, young players need to be motivated to become those role models. A key recommendation in the For the Love of the Game report was to have specific, targeted programs for Indigenous kids. And you've got to make them free or cheap, because cricket's initial cost presents yet another barrier. You need a lot of gear and equipment for cricket, compared to playing, say, soccer. So I've come to La Perouse, in the southeastern suburbs of Sydney. It's a warm afternoon, cloudy. There's a bit of rain forecast, but hopefully the kids will get a bit of cricket in before that hits. This is an Indigenous-focused cricket blast program, put on by Cricket New South Wales as a way to get First Nation kids playing the sport. Judging by the chaos in the background, it's going well. Really what we're trying to do is just to introduce cricket to this part of Sydney. It's rugby league heartland, but you know one of our goals is to try and make cricket as available as possible to every little boy and girl. There's a strong Indigenous community in this area, and this is one of our key pillars at Cricket New South Wales and Australian cricket is to, is to make it more accessible to everyone of all backgrounds and communities. So that's what we've been doing. Samad Sheikh is the coach here. There are 10 or so kids here today, and there's a lot of excitement because they've just received their jerseys and bats. The jerseys sport a goanna design created by 16-year-old Durrawal man Billy Reynolds. They look great. The program is free for Indigenous kids from 5 to 7 years old. To me, this seems like the most fertile ground for redressing some of the imbalances at the top level of the game. I'm also learning in this experience about Indigenous culture and community. It's something that I haven't you know, been exposed to in my professional life. So understanding the communities in this area, what are some of the challenges that they face, but also how to overcome some of the obstacles and make things more accessible to them, but also understand a little bit about you know, what their day-to-day is. It's been a very eye-opening experience for me, personally, and my vision, or if you like, for lack of a better word, probably would be just, just to have a bit of consistency and the longevity in, in cricket in this area. And if we can achieve that, then, then I think, you know, we've played a small part in kids getting access to other sports, which would be outstanding. These sorts of programs are clearly working, at least in terms of Australian cricket's goal to be a sport for all. In 2013, there were just 8,500 First Nation kids playing cricket. In 2019, that number was nearly 70,000. A key change has been investment from the top. And according to Samad, at least in this part of southeastern Sydney, the parents are on board. 
the parents have been very supportive. They've been uh, on the WhatsApp to each other. They've got parent WhatsApps with other parents in the school, just informing each other about the cricket program and, and the benefits of it, um, and how much of a, a good vibe there is here on Wednesday afternoons at the moment. They're keen to learn about what options are available to their kids. All of the parents so far that I've met have been very supportive of whatever their child enjoys, they want to help support them. So whether that be cricket or rugby league or AFL or soccer or whatever it may be, in this case, cricket has been really well received. So we're really pleased with the level of support the parents have shown. I got a chance to chat with some of the parents as they were waiting to pick their kids up. One thing that kept coming up was that they didn't know how they keep their kids in cricket. Were there any programs in the area? Would this one even run again? But something more fundamental struck me. These parents aren't necessarily interested in the politics or questions of disparity in sport. They're interested in their kids and giving them a chance to run around and get out of the house in the afternoon. Their health and happiness. One parent said to me it wouldn't have mattered what sport was happening at this Oval on a Wednesday afternoon in early summer, soccer or Roskirk or whatever. They'd have been here. For cricket to become a sport for all, what it needs to do most is be here, on ovals like this one, all around the country. Racist policies put barriers in place for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders pursuing careers in professional cricket. This fostered a stale male and pale culture that kept them excluded. This disparity in cricket, compared to other sports, comes down to an historical lack of action on the part of governing bodies. But it means these bodies also have the power to redress the imbalance. And it seems they've made that commitment. And it's working. And on this cloudy afternoon, out on the pitch, these kids seem to be relishing in it. That's it for this episode of Voice of Real Australia. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. If you like the podcast, please share it with friends and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Everyone has a story to tell. If you'd like to share yours, email voice at ostcommunitymedia.com.au. That's voice at ost, A-U-S-T, communitymedia.com.au. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Voice of Real Australia. Voice of Real Australia is recorded in the studios of the Newcastle Herald. It's produced by Lara Corrigan and me, your host, Tom Melville. Our editors are Gail Tomlinson and Chad Watson. Special thanks this week go to Josh Callanan, Renee Valentine and Janine Graham. This is an ACM podcast. <laughs>